This show is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. If you're starting a show, I highly recommend using Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Slap Talk. I'm your host, Amil Sarfani, and this is my sports card show. I appreciate you tuning in today. I'm super excited for today's uh, guest who's coming on to the show. Uh, Chris, you can follow him on Instagram at Chris underscore H-O-J, House of Jordans. He has a YouTube show called Sports Card Culture. He does uh, a weekly uh, crossover on Saturday nights with Cardboard Chronicles. And he is the co-founder of Card Ladder, which is, if you follow me at all, you know, is uh, one of my favorite tools right now in the industry. So uh, welcome in, Chris. Thanks for joining. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Amil, thank you for having me on. Thank you for the content that you provide for the hobby. Uh, appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, and, you know, just a little story of Chris and, and, and I, I'm one of the, the, you know, I've only been collecting in, in the sports card hobbies so far for about just over a year now. And uh, one of the first posts I had on Instagram where I got, where I broke down my investment, you know, portfolio, which guys I was, I was buying up and stuff like that. One of the first comments that I got on that was from Chris. And I had just started following Chris because I was starting to follow, you know, people that I really respect as collectors and Chris, you're really one of them. Um, just someone I admire uh, as, as a sports card collector. Um, and Chris asked me, do I, you know, where's your Jordan, man? Like you've got, you've got Kobe, you've got LeBron, you've got all this modern stuff. Where's Jordan. Uh, and since then I've had this, you know, quest to, to, to find a Jordan card that I really loved. And a couple of weeks ago, I got into my, I, I finally bought into Jordan. Um, and the first person I thought of was actually you. So, um, I just kind of, I, I, that's a fun story. Kind of, I'm glad I have you on the show. It's a lot of fun. But I want to start off the show by asking you, uh, give me a little glimpse into your collection. You know, I, I know you're a big Jordan collector. Obviously, you're big. You've got some crazy Luca cards. What's your what's what's one of your favorite cards you have in your collection? And, and what do you what are you buying? Are you buying basketball? Or do you get into different sports? Give me a little glimpse into to what you're looking at. Sure, man. Uh, my. Uh... One of my favorite Jordan cards that I own is the 1993-94 Ultra Scoring Kings. Um, I own it in a PSA 9. Uh, it's kind of the insert that foreshadowed what would come over the next four to five years in the hobby. All foil background uh, really was one of the first inserts that depicted the athlete as, you know, a sort of superhero, um, which was one of Arena Design's uh, philosophies was making these that didn't quite work out the way we wanted um, but he got traded after he made it clear he wasn't going to re-sign with the Spurs uh, he he got traded with about a year left on his contract uh, and I think one of the reasons why the Spurs didn't get a ton of value out of that trade is because one they traded him with only one year left on the contract doesn't give a, a, a team a ton of time to try to convince him to stay uh, or to just you know have him play for them for the remainder of his contract. It's only a season. 
Um, the Raptors were really a team that, you know, made that risk. They, they took the bet there. They took the risk of just saying, hey, whatever happens, if you want to walk after this year, we're going to take our chances. And it, and it paid off for them. Um, but because he made it so clear he wanted to play in L.A., uh, you know, I, I, the value that the Spurs got for Kawhi in that trade just wasn't great. Um, and, and, and that happened with about a year left on his contract. Uh, the Anthony Davis uh, trade happened with about a year and a half left on his contract, um, and they got pretty good value for for him. Um, and sure enough, you know Anthony Davis also won a championship uh, with the Lakers. Um, so again, these shifts are absolutely massive and, and affect what's actually happening on the the historical side for the NBA, um, which is why I think it's fun to unpack. But they did about he you know he got traded about a year and a half before his contract expiration. Um, you know, with the uh, with the Brooklyn trade, and I kind of want to jump into that now. Uh, what was so interesting about that trade, and what you know, why James Harden you know took a lot of flack, is that he did that with two full seasons remaining on his contract, um, which is probably one of the earliest uh, one of these players has you know demanded a trade. Is two years left on my contract? I want out, and that's what James Harden did. And and you know, the Houston Rockets honestly got a lot of value for that because two full seasons in the NBA with a guy like James Harden, who's already a proven scorer. I mean, historically great scorer with two full seasons um, in his prime, you know, I think there were plenty of teams that were going to try to make that happen, you know, and it came down to Philly and the Nets, uh, but either of those trades, wherever he would have gone would have caused an entire narrative shift for James Harden, which it, which it's going to do. Um, the longer he plays with the Nets, um, I, I think that you're going to see the hype will just get there. That narrative of of the Nets being um, one of the best teams in the East and a favorite to come out, I think it's going to happen. It's going to take them time to build some chemistry. There are question marks, obviously, about their defense, but they are uh, they could be a historically great offense. Uh, and in a conference that currently is pretty wide open, uh, Giannis has not proven that he's going to be the guy coming out of the East. Uh, and I still think Giannis has to make a leap when it comes to to his abilities. And he's still pretty young. And so uh, I, I think that he's got time, but I think his next leap is going to be from a mental standpoint in terms of how he plays the game. He's still taking a lot of bad shots. Um, and I still feel like he's got to make some changes to how he actually utilizes his talent. Um, but I think what that means is, pre-playoff hype for the Nets is going to be real. And AD cards, James Harden cards, uh, you know, with Kyrie, I've got mixed emotions just because he has his, you know, he, he's Kyrie and he's, he has his off-court stuff, which I think will always uh, affect his cards a little bit. And uh, But he's an absolute superstar of a talent. So, you know, even his cards, I think, could be a, a decent buy. I, I'm not buying any Kyrie right now just because I'm not messing with it. But... Um, but I do have my James Harden cards and I have been buying KD cards, mostly because I believe in that hype that's going to happen. So if you're on the, if you're on YouTube, uh, I'm going to go over to my screen. And if you're on, um, if you're on uh, the podcast, uh, you know, I'll walk it, I'll, I'll talk through it. So don't worry about it. Um, but first I kind of want to get into what's going on, what happened with the James Harden cards. Um, so this is on card ladder uh, and this is a year a worth of data for him and it's, and I'm using his PSA nine right now because uh, there's just more um, transactions of it. So you can see more of a trend on what's going on with his cards. Um, so you can see that, you know, in August when the NBA peaked uh, his PSA nines were trading, you know, around that 550 to 600 mark. Um, and like every other card, you know, 
after August, they all dipped. And so uh, this PSA 9 got as low as, uh, what, 250 here in, in October. Um, and I think that's where he started talking about getting traded. The Russell Westbrook uh, and, and James Harden turmoil was pretty clear at that point. Russ had started asking out. Um, and so I think at this point, it was pretty clear that there was going to be a narrative shift. Um, and so in November, I bought two PSA nines here in, in, uh, of his tops PSA uh, of his tops rookie card, and I bought a PSA ten, and that same time period at the end of November um, for uh, about three fifty a piece, and they're going for you know about three fifty here in November. Um, after the trade, you can see that obviously the hype is already there, and his cards jumped. Um, to 585, right? So they're around 585. They just peaked right there. They're they're settling back down around the $500 mark. But again, this is a predictable narrative shift that we could have seen happen um, when you knew that he was going to ask out of Houston, and, and when you know the Russ and Harden um, experiment was no longer going to work. Um, so that's what happened with the Harden cards uh, going into you know KD. I don't think the KD cards were you know crazy affected by this trade mostly because he uh, I think what people were waiting for Kevin Durant's cards to see was just him coming back and looking good on the court and so once that happened uh, you can see his card right you know hit his card prices go from around that four thousand dollar mark and they're now hitting I mean the last sale was around eighty five hundred um, so this team is gonna be a favorite coming out of the east if they're not already a favorite they're gonna be top two um, so I do believe these card values still go up. You know, it's crazy that they're already hitting where they're hitting for Kevin Durant. Um, and I've already gotten questions on, do you buy, do you hold, do you sell Kevin Durant, uh, right now because of this crazy up that we're seeing. Um, but the way I think about it, although this is already, you know, a huge peak, uh, and, and already is above the last peak that Kevin Durant's cards had, uh, in August, I still think it's a good time to hold because, um, pre-playoff hype for the Nets is going to be real. And that's a really great time to sell. That is the time to sell. That's where the last uh, NBA cycle peaked. And so if you're trying to time this sale, I still think this is a hold uh, because of that reason. Um, but I think that the trade that happened in Brooklyn, you can see how it affected the James Harden cards specifically. Kyrie cards did what they did um, because, you know, he was not playing. So um, his cards dipped a little bit, but he's back on the court looking really good. And so I don't think it's going to take a lot for his cards also to, to start going up in value as well. Um, so that's kind of unpacking that Brooklyn Nets trade from a card standpoint. Again, these narrative shifts, I, I think you could have predicted this one. Um, and so uh, I'll go into the Phoenix Suns trade that happened with Chris Paul um, as another uh, trade that really uh, was interesting to the, to the league and what happened to Devin Booker cards specifically. Um, so, you know, for Chris Paul cards, and I'll, I'll uh, talk a little about the Chris Paul cards. Um, those cards didn't see huge up and downs after that trade. I think for Chris Paul, it's going to take actual championship winning to actually affect his card values in a real way just because he's been playing for so long. Um, so I, I do think people need to believe that he's going to um, win a championship before his cards get affected. But how that trade affected Devin Booker is really fascinating. So again, if you're on YouTube, I'm going to go back to my screen. If you're on the podcast, I'll be walking through it. Um, so if you're on the screen, you can see uh, back in uh, uh, June of 2020, 
Uh, we saw Devin Broker cards. And I think it's just fun to go through Devin Broker cards anyway, uh, because he's had a lot of ups and downs. Um, and uh, that's really fun to look at. So here in June of 2020, this is the Gary V hype. So he went from 250 to almost 600, 550 here in June. Uh, and that was because the Gary V hype. And, and then what happens for a few months, a couple months after that is that they, it just builds a floor right around that 550 mark, uh, $500 mark, 450. So, um, and then when they got into the bubble, the bubble Suns were great. They played really, really well. Devin Booker had a great, um, you know, game, a, a, a bubble experience there. He played really well and the Suns won every game. So you saw his card values go from 450 all the way up to, they peaked at 1425, uh, in August, um, huge that this is player performance. You know, you can't always predict this. This is uh, one of those where you just can't predict this. Uh, if you had Devin Booker cards at the time, maybe you sold and you made a, a ton of money right here, and that's awesome. Um, but peaking at 425 and them going 8-0 in the bubble, I mean, who would have seen that coming? I, I, I don't know if that was necessarily. I think the bubble was really good for them. Um, after August, when it peaked for Devin Booker, you see it bottom back out in the dip that, that happened the offseason here in October, right around that 775 mark. So on a long-term basis, if you're holding Devin Booker, even though even if you didn't sell at these peaks, it's plateaued at higher uh, floors each time. So that's what you want to see. You know, if you're a Devin Booker long-term holder, that's awesome to see. And if you're trying to get in on Devin Booker, there are some buying opportunities here. So in the offseason, if you bought Devin Booker, great. Phoenix Suns trade happens. Chris Paul's coming to Phoenix. And you can see what effect that did to Devin Booker cards. Um, it pushed his cards all the way back up to about $1,330, $1,300 here in December. Um, So again, trying to figure out what's happening with these trades and keeping track of where people may go is a really easy way to potentially make some short-term gains. And so uh, I wanted to kind of walk through those two trades. Shea cards also were uh, impacted positively, uh, but I think Shea was going to go up. Him giving him being given a team like he was with OKC um, really helped him kind of show out his talent, and he's playing really really well this season. Um, I wouldn't be buying Shea cards. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be buying players that are good stats bad team guys for now. That could change. I don't think Shea's a, a good stats bad team guy. That's not what I'm saying, but he's going to be on a bad team for a while. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I know they're playing really well right now, but I would be staying away from Shea cards uh, because. Really, right now, there is a lot of opportunity to be already be buying guys who are the number one on their team. So, so why add that extra risk of going uh, after guys that are you know such so, so risky in that way? But again, you know what happened with the James Harden cards? You could have if you if you saw what happened with Devin Booker after the Chris Paul trade, those narrative shifts were clear, and how it affects the card markets uh, were clear after that trade. Um, so I want to take, so, I, you know, unpacking the Brooklyn Nets trade, the Phoenix Suns trade, that's great. Um, and I want to talk about where that provides future opportunity. Because one thing I want to do on this is not only talk through the history of just what happened with these trades and how those trade uh, trades affected the card values of the players involved, but also what's next? Who's next? Where's the next opportunity when it comes to uh, the next superstar being moved? Um, so I don't actually currently own any cards of this player. I'm starting to think about it because I am trying to time this by, uh, but Bradley Beal's next. He's got two years left on his contract. He's got this season, he's got next season, and then he's got a player option in 2022, um, which means that 
if he decides he wants out of Washington and he makes that clear to the Wizards, um, you know, this year or this offseason after this year, um, I think that naturally he's going to get traded before the next season so that the next team that gets him has about a year left on his current contract and has the opportunity to re-sign him for a max. Um, I think that we're going to see that with Bradley Beal. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying to go, go all in on this. I'm saying if you want to sprinkle some money on a Bradley Beal bet, I think I'm going to be doing that um, because of what's happening uh, in the league and what's happening on these, uh, in these trades, just massive shifts. And if Bradley Beal goes to a winning situation, which I think he would uh, through a trade like this, um, the narrative shift you're going to hear for Bradley Beal, he's already a crazy accomplished player. He's very, very talented. Uh, and his reputation along, uh, among the league is already, you know, he's a great player. And I, I think that uh, if he gets into a winning situation, you're going to see his price, his card prices go up. After Bradley Beal, I think you, you know, there may be a Carl Anthony Towns discussion after that, but that's not for a few years. I don't think he has a player option. He's not a free agent until the 2024, 2025 season, if I remember correctly. So he's got some time on his, but again, every year or two, there are these little opportunities for massive narrative shifts for guys uh, because of their contract situations. Be looking for them. Um, and if you have any questions uh, about anything you heard on this podcast or anything that you read on any of my Instagram posts, um, hit me up, uh, message me. I love having these conversations. If you agree with me, if you disagree with me, tell me why. I'd love to hear that too. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully it provided some value and a different perspective on how to trade in the modern market. Um, so let me know what you think. Uh, if you like what you hear, you know, share it with a friend, rate and review. I really appreciate the support. It helps uh, it helps me grow this content and this this platform. So uh, I appreciate appreciate it and uh, have a good day. It gets as it gets increasingly more expensive very very quickly. So I am I'm trying to figure that stuff out right now. Is like where's the supply and demand and does it actually make sense? If you go try to buy like a LeBron moment or a Zion moment right now, like they are insanely expensive. The entry point for the marketplace seems too high to me. I think at some point that's going to turn away a lot of people like me who are wanting to to interact with it and wanting to buy in the marketplace. But at some point, you know, you can't just keep throwing two thousand, three thousand, five thousand dollars around all the like. That's a lot of money, and so it has to be valuable. There has to be belief that that's going to be important and valuable for me to spend that money. And I'm just not there yet. So. I don't know what they're doing about the entry points. It's a supply demand issue. So I don't know if all these numbers are being propped up. It feels like there are. There's a lot of marketing around it right now. The NBA is obviously licensed. And so you see a lot of players talking about it right now. Um, and I don't know what that's doing to artificially increase the prices. And if they're artificially being increased because people think that they're going to be more valuable in three months, well, in three months, we're going to find out if they're actually valuable or not. And if they're not, you're going to see corrections right now. So, you know, I think overall, I think that there's interesting parts of Top Shot. I'm going to continue to evaluate it. You know, I think that they're having, they're not releasing a lot of packs right now. They're still in their beta version. So they're still trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to actually manage the traffic on the site. But I think once they start releasing packs and stuff and they get that a little bit more secure, they're not releasing a lot of packs right now. And I think that's going to be a key is is for them to be readily, in, you know, releasing packs of of these NFTs so that there's something to buy at a lower price point. Because right now, if you try to get in, there's just nothing there at the price point 
that you want to get in at. You know, the $9 packs are just never available. They're always sold out. Um, so I'm curious as to how that stuff's going to go. Um, but I hope that kind of makes you think about NFTs and Top Shot and do some research. You know, don't listen to, to me or anybody else. Do your own research out there. And this is just mostly for me to share my thoughts on what I think is happening in the Top Shot world. It is fascinating and you should be learning about it. NFTs are going to be wildly important to us uh, going forward. And the blockchain technology is something that I'm reading books on and trying to learn about right now um, and trying to you know understand what Bitcoin and Ethereum are and all those sorts of things. Um, that sort of technology is, is going to be our lifetime. So super important to learn right now. And hopefully this helped you just kind of think twice about it or think more about it. And hopefully you got some value out of it. Uh, now, uh, for the next part of the show, uh, I'm going to have my Slab Talk strategy session with Drake PC, uh, Drake underscore PC. If you want to give him a follow, the conversation was really fun. I hope you enjoy it. And if you want to come on, follow the link in my bio on Instagram. Uh, and if you like the show, I please ask that you rate and review it. I really appreciate the support. Uh, and if you can share it with your friends, uh, would love to, would love to, uh, see that happen. So thanks again and hope you enjoy the Slab Talk strategy session. Thanks, y'all. Have a good day. Hey, guys. I know you were expecting the interview with Drake PC cards attached to this episode, but I just want to let you know I'm actually releasing it as a separate episode. So uh, keep an eye out for it. should be coming out uh, shortly after this release. Um, but give it a listen. It's a good interview. Thanks. Bye. You know, thing, word of mouth will be the mechanism by which more and more people come into the hobby. So I think that bodes well for sustainable long-term growth. And you can contrast it to like the out, outstanding blitzkrieg of a marketing campaign that NBA Top Shot has done, yeah. where the NBA social media accounts are, you know, talking about it frequently. Some of the uh, personalities of that are employed by the NBA are talking about it. It's showing up in, you know, huge headline pieces in the New York Times and Bloomberg in, in lots of important, um, you know, reporting outlets. Uh, mm. Nobody's doing that. That's not happening with sports cards. So the, the risk of like overloading uh, and having a mania phase is lower uh, with cards. So it's a good thought though. I think about that a lot about, are we going to have a, a, a steady trickle of people in, or are we going to, you know, have, have this moment of super abundance and then, you know, things will taper off. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. I think that's interesting, you know, and I think that the way for me, because I'm, I'm one of the newer people I've, I'm seeing and I'm feeling the energy from a lot of new people getting into the hobby. And so for me, I love it because it's, it's really like, I am actually, so one I got in last February and what I started buying was like Tatum prism, you know, like I got in as, Oh, I'm, I'm going to have fun collecting guys who are currently playing knowing that they could break a leg tomorrow. Like I, I understand all that and I'm still having fun with that. And I think a lot of people have really enjoyed that piece of the hobby because like basketball, especially for basketball. So I will say for basketball specifically, the reason I think it's caught on so well for, especially with a lot of like people my age and just my friends who are, who didn't do it before this is that basketball fantasy sucks. Like I, I don't like basketball. I've played tons of fantasy football, but I don't like, I don't like fantasy basketball. Um, gambling on basketball. Like I know a lot of football gamblers. I don't personally gamble on football or anything, but I, I know most people who gamble on sports, like football betting is, is so much more fun than basketball betting. There's just so many more variables in basketball 
especially with guys sitting out and everything and back-to-backs and all this other sort of thing. And so basketball card collecting has just offered this insanely fun tool or fun activity to financially have some fun in basketball. And I think that's what it's become. I think that's why modern has done what it's doing. Um, But I also think that's why like that can be good for the hobby. I think that's what's bringing a lot of attention. And I do think a lot of people who are collecting modern now are going to trickle into the collector mindset instead of the investor mindset, you know? And I think that's going to, we're going to see that a lot more. And I think the more investors, quote unquote, the people who are buying modern and flipping modern are, you know, if they're real and if, if the, if the passion is really there, they're going to do what I did, which was go from that and then get into all the fun kind of niches and, and, and alleyways and, and deep dives that you can really get into in the basketball card hobby which is why I find it to be such a creative, awesome hobby, because you can literally dive into rabbit holes that just go on forever. You know what I'm saying? And it's yeah. so awesome. I love that the card hobby is just so vast because I think that allows for people to change in the card hobby. It doesn't get stale. Like you can constantly be looking at cards every day and constantly be finding new cards. You don't just pay attention to the same 10, you know? So I think it's fun, but I think that's why it's good. I, you know, I would argue it's good for the hobby that it's becoming somewhat, you know, kind of cool, like fantasy basketball, fantasy sports, sports gambling. Like that. I think that's a fun part of it. I think that's a good thing, but I, yeah, I, you, I think you put your finger, I've never heard that theory before, at least not quite the way that you put it. And it's a really interesting way to compare um, because there are some questions like why do basketball, why does modern basketball seem to do better and then some of the other sports. And like one of the explanations is that there's a much bigger collector base of basketball overseas, which I think has merit to it. But also this idea that um, there's, there's not alternative ways to enjoy uh, as a, as a, as a game or, you know, financially, there's not as many alternatives to participate with basketball. Like you said, fantasy basketball sucks and betting on football is more fun. That's, that's extremely insightful. I think that, that you, that's a good point. That's something I hadn't thought of before. And, um, and then, I, you know, you were, you were talking about the collector mindset and that's a really great point too. It, it'd be kind of like, let's say somebody gets involved in fantasy and they, they want to, or, or gambling and they, they, they want to get involved because they think that they can do well, they can make money. Okay. Well, so they, that's their investors because they're, they're hoping to invest a certain amount of money and turn it into more, but once they start doing it, you know, they become expert fantasy players. They become expert analysts of, of, of the likelihood of players to put up certain statistics or in, in gambling, they become experts at trying to predict how different variables impact how a game's going to out uh, unfold in similar in sports cards. You know, you might start with the point of view that I'd like to, you know, come in and, uh, and make some money and use my intelligence but once you get into it, the, the 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 some of the most important variables that you can that you can analyze are are the 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 history of the collectibles, which sets matter. Why do they matter? Why do they why are they desirable to people? You know why is uh, one set more more valuable than another? Uh, these are all aspects that that collectors um, hold the keys to. They understand, and in, so sometimes intuitively, if they've been doing it for long enough. But even if not, you know, there's there's a wealth of information out there to study. So I, I really like the way you've set up both of those concepts. I that's that's some really good stuff there. 
It's it's really funny because you know I I hear and I I'm fascinated by this collector investor debate that exists in the hobby sometimes, uh, especially now. And, and it's it's funny to me because I I look at the collectors and I'm like, yo, if you had the investor mindset, like if you wanted to make money doing this, you are by far the best suited to make the most money doing this because all the time I've spent in the last year just learning not even half of as much as what you already know and you've been doing it for a lot longer, like. You, you know what sets are about to pop because you know what sets are important because everyone goes through a very similar journey where you start figuring out the right sets at the right times. Um, and it's so funny to me because I'm like, if you're a collector, yo, you should put your investor hat on and, 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 and investors should be putting more of a collector hat on so that they can become better investors and collectors should be putting an investor hat on so they can make the most money. I mean, it would make the most sense in the world that collectors make the most money doing this. You know, you just know. Yeah, it's a great point. And it happens, you know, uh, uh, whether it's forums or social media, I'm definitely guilty of this. Uh, sometimes we don't present our best selves. We, you know, we, we will tweet something or post something that, you know, is, is you know, I just saw something that one guy said, so I'm going to say the opposite and put it out into the world and stuff. And like, it can be, and so sometimes we get collectors and investors presenting sides of themselves that are almost uh, um, uh, stereotypes of ourselves rather than the nuanced beings that we all actually are. And so a lot of collectors are doing quite well. And a lot of investors (laughs) are learning uh, and, and practicing traits that and practicing behaviors that we would consider collecting. So the dichotomy isn't as hard and as fast as 